0: Hello to all my listeners and thank you for tuning in. I don't think we can go any further uh, with, with this podcast without really taking the time to situate ourselves and take taking the time to learn about the historical and cultural context of Ghana and the people that make it up. So who better to do this with me today than a local Ghanaian? I am really thrilled to be sitting down with Obed Saki, who is the coordinator and one of our educators of the service trip that I'm on here in Winneba, Ghana. Hi Obed. Hi. (laughs) Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, can you introduce yourself a little bit please? Um,
1: Like you mentioned my name is Obed Saki. Um, I'm 36 years and I was born in Winneba in Ghana and I've lived in Ghana all my life. I was a teacher until becoming a coordinator for this project. So it's nice to have you. Yeah, (laughs) and here we are.
0: I know that there's so much to cover in terms of history and culture, and that every aspect we'll be discussing today is just the tip of the iceberg yes. not that there are icebergs in this country yeah. <laughs> but we'll do our best and everything deserves more attention so let's begin a little bit with the history looking at things like resources and trade so what is Ghana known for in those realms
1: okay so Ghana is known for many things especially um, in the field of mineral um, resources okay for example we have a lot of gold it was the gold that led most of the European countries to come to West Africa to trade, specifically in the Gold Coast. So, for example, the, when the Portuguese came to Ghana, the first place they landed was a place in central region they called Elmina, okay. meaning the mine in Portuguese. Okay. So this shows how much gold we had at the time, and we still have.
0: And who gave the name Gold Coast to the region?
1: So like I said, when the Portuguese got here, they called the place Elmina Elmina, the mine. Right. But the news of the gold resources and other resources spread very wide in other European countries. So the British also came in and they named here the Gold Coast.
0: I see. So the Portuguese came in um, like the late 15th century.
1: Yes, they were here in 1471. Okay. That was the first time they landed here. Wow. But then that was another patronage of Prince Henry the Navigator. He sent people to discover, they were discovering land. That was the age of discovery. Okay. So he discovered this place. But then they went back and came back 11 years later in 1482.
0: Okay.
1: That's where they finally sent Don Diego de Azambuja. To come and build a castle as a sign of settlement.
0: This was the Portuguese. This was the Portuguese. Okay.
1: This was the Portuguese. So that
0: was their statement that we're here to stay. That was it. Okay.
1: They were here to stay, and uh, the chief of Elimina at the time was called Na Kwamina Ansa. Kwamina Ansa.
0: Kwamina Ansa. Yeah.
1: Kwamina is a Saturday born.
0: Okay. Yeah. Saturday
1: born. right. Yes. But that's the title name Kwamina Ansa. So he gave the Portuguese the permission. Initially, where the Portuguese chose to build their castle was a sacred place, so there was a struggle. Until the chief saw that no, these people had come to trade with us. It was a good thing.
0: Mm-hmm. It was
1: also an eye opener to the indigenous people at the time. Sure. So he told the people in our language. He raised the hand of the leader and said, "Brebre, brebre."
0: Brebre. What is bre, that? Brebre
1: means peace. peace.
0: Peace. Peace. So the Portuguese had this um like this token of acceptance they were accepted yes they
1: were ghana. accepted in yeah. ghana yes.
0: okay so how did that differ to uh what we know as the later british colonization of ghana in like i think that started 1821 yes lasted like 80 years yeah yeah
1: so um, when you want to go back go into the history of colonization it's a very it's going to take us hours so sure. let me give you just a brief summary <laughs> okay What happened was that um, in the year 1642, now when the Portuguese came, they, like I said, they sent news of the good things in the Gold Coast. At the time, we had gold, we had diamond, we had bauxite, and then also came in the slave trade, Okay, Mm -hmm. We'll get into that. So other European countries also came. But then, like I mentioned, in 1642, the Dutch fought with the portuguese
0: mm-hmm.
1: one took over their castle and drove them away
0: and now the the place of the portuguese the acceptance was no longer there because yeah
1: so they because there was a time when the european who are settled there were also fighting amongst themselves okay you know yeah with more resources available to take they were also greedy sure so they started fighting and in one of the wars the portuguese were beating And then they had to go back to Portugal Mm -hmm. so they left and then the British were more into control of things here so finally all the other when the slave trade was over most of the European countries left leaving the British here Mm -hmm. so that was the start of colonization but like I always tell people colonization didn't start by the British coming in to colonize it was the people themselves who gradually saw themselves to be colonized.
0: Interesting. So it was on, on the part of the Ghanaians who felt...
1: The gold coasters. They called it the way, that was the gold coast. The gold coasters, <laughs> yes. right. It's
0: not Ghana yet. Yes. The gold coasters felt like mm-hmm. something bigger than them had come and they yeah. couldn't sort of own, own their land anymore in the same way?
1: No, that, that, that wasn't was the situation. So, in the pre-colonial stages, there was a very strong kingdom in Ghana called the Ashanti kingdom. Mm-hmm. They were very strong, rich, and powerful. Okay. But they were in the middle belt of the, of the Gold Coast. Now, the British, the Danes, the Dutch, the European powers were on the coast.
0: Right.
1: So, it was only people who had access to the British, like the Fantis, the Gans, the everest
0: all the ethnic groups the
1: ethnic, these groups had access directly to the european trade i see now the ashanti's wanted to have direct they didn't want the local people to be their middlemen they wanted to have direct access to trade with the europeans and the fantines and those people didn't want to allow it so it uh, became a war
0: i see they were always
1: fighting among themselves okay now the ashanti's were disturbing trade they were disturbing people so In the year 6th of March 1844, eight chiefs along the coast went to the then commander of the Gold Coast called Commander Hill. Okay. That they want to sign a bond, which is called the Bond of 1844. Okay. And in the bond, the British were supposed to protect the local people. Okay. From the Ashantis who were always fighting, getting in the way. You understand? Yeah.
0: They were yeah. fighting and
1: killing them. So the British who had soldiers who had a lot of guns to protect them, in that agreement, the British also put in place certain things that they also wanted from their local people.
0: And This was the okay. beginning
1: of colonization. I see.
0: So they, they took the opportunity to yes. So the a, British
1: then took the opportunity right. down. Now, if you have succumbed or submitted to me, then... So when this agreement was signed, the British now announced mm-hmm. The good cause this part of the coast as under their protection. Right. So it became a British a British protectorate.
0: So when you use the word protection, if we look now back at the time of colonization, what, what, how would you describe the period? Was it a dark time in Ghanaian history um, or were there benefits to the British being there?
1: Okay, so there are two, two sides to this issue. The very dark side is with the Atlantic slave trade that we had. Yeah. This is something that we Africans, especially Ghanaians, we don't want to talk about because it brings a lot of pain in our heart to see millions of people being shipped away. And these people were the strongest at the time. Mm-hmm. Slaves were not the weakest. They were the, stro- the strongest, the most beautiful like people that people who were able to be on the sea for months to get to Europe.
0: You had to have strength. Strength. Yeah.
1: And even when they were abroad, they were screened before they even got to the ship. So this part is a very dark, one of the effects that ha- we had with the, the coming in of the Europeans. But then there are also advantages. It opened the way for civilization, like mm-hmm. you say. Mm-hmm. For example, in colonization, one of the biggest... Mm-hmm. Or the most advanced high schools in Ghana was built by Governor Goddesbury. Right.
0: The, a British
1: a officer. British officer. Yeah. He was the governor at the time. So they built schools, they built railways, they built hospitals, you know. They, they gave technical education, they took local people to Europe to be trained. Mm-hmm. These are important things that we can mention right. that came with colonization
0: yeah and i think that that gives interesting perspective today because um ghana is no longer colonized mm-hmm. and so so let's go into that a little bit how did ghana gain independence from british colonization
1: okay so the struggle for independence took um, a longer time mm-hmm. so right from colonization people started you know agitated but the people have lived a life of freedom before so most people were not in tune with what was going on. For example, there was a poll tax ordinance
0: okay. announced by the
1: British that everybody should pay some form of levy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they sent police people, policemen at the time to go to houses to take money for development. The people had they didn't know anything about tax. So announcing something like that wasn't in their favor. Right. Okay. Now so the struggle started when some of those people whom the British had given scholarships to go and study abroad, okay. came back
0: mm-hmm.
1: to come and help. And they said, no, our people can live on our own.
0: They sort of, they saw how other cultures uh, were working, yes. they felt empowered to, yes, to bring it home. to
1: bring it home. So there was this struggle, there was a give and take. And in early part of the 1940s, there was a very first union, organized union formed, what is called the United Google's Convention, okay. UGCC. Okay. These people, now we call them the Big Six.
0: Okay.
1: They sought to lead the struggle for independence. So Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, Dr. J.B. Dankwa, Ubeche Bilante, Akweje, these, to mention a few of them, and other people whose names are not mentioned here, sought to champion the cause for our independence. Mm-hmm. So the AGCC had a motto: independence in the shortest possible time.
0: Okay. Okay. <laughs> <Independence>. Efficiency. <laughs> Efficiency. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. So there was these struggles. There are times that there were there were riot. For example, in 1948, there was a route in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Some 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 soldiers whom the British recruited to go and fight in the in the. World War II. Yeah,
0: They
1: were promised so much, and when they came back, they turned their eyes and they didn't want to take off them. So these veterans marched to the Usu Castle, which at the time was the seat of the governor. Okay. And someone shot and then killed some of the generals. Mm-hmm. And this thing started a rout. Of course. And the push. So um, these are some of the things that the people used to force the bridge for the independence, but so that didn't sounds... give independence uh-huh. in 1948.
0: Okay.
1: One of the members of the UGCC, who was their secretary, his name is Dr. Kwame Nkrumah. Okay. He eventually became the first prime minister and the first president of the republic. Okay. So Dr. Kwame Nkrumah saw that the other leaders of the UGCC they didn't want the independence of the people. You know, they were slowing down. They write to the queen. They go to the governor. You want to rule ourselves? They said no. So Kwame Kuma himself formed his own political party hmm. called the Convention People's Party.
0: Okay. That was
1: independence now. Wow. Not independent in the shortest possible time.
0: Right. So, oh, e- it's even shorter, so, than so, that. So, so, <laughs> shorter than that.
1: So he started, and Kwame Kuma was imprisoned. You know, like the situation with what o- happened, especially in South Africa, the same way. Yeah. And in 1957, the British saw the pressure coming in and the Queen gave the governor the power to grant independence to the country.
0: So it sounds like a mixture of advocacy and methods of violence yes. and just sort of a determination. Of violence, yes,
1: determination yeah. to, to rule uh, ourselves. Yeah.
0: And then Ghana became the first self-governing country in Africa. Is that right?
1: In sub-Saharan Africa. In sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. So then
0: the surrounding countries took inspiration from Ghana. A lot of
1: inspiration from Ghana. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think you, you were telling me the other day that the, um, the star in the Ghanaian flag is the symbol of hope.
1: Yeah, the blue star of Africa.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A symbol of hope.
0: As a result of gaining independence, yes, yeah, so that's incredible, and that's one part of the story. But if we go even sort of further ahead into history, today Ghana is a democracy, yeah. but it was not always it's one. A, it was not always. Um, this is obviously another topic that we could go on for hours with, for I'm hours. sure. <laughs> yeah, but uh, how, how? Who initiated that shift? I assume it came from the citizens. They wanted more say, more rights.
1: To, is it to democracy?
0: To democracy, yeah.
1: All right, so we, this takes us far back. I'm just giving a summary. Yeah. So in 1960, we became a republic.
0: Okay.
1: And Dr. Kwame Krumah, who was the prime minister, became the first president. So
0: 1960, Ghana gained independence.
1: 1957, Ghana gained independence. Okay. 1960, became, became a, a republic. republic so Kwame Nkrumah became the very first president of the republic. Now Kwame Nkrumah was practicing a one-party democracy with his political party, the Convention People's Party.
0: One-party democracy? One party,
1: yes. One party. It was a one-party state. Okay. So democracy, but it's one party.
0: (laughs) You don't have a lot of choice. (laughs) You don't have a lot of choice.
1: So, but there were other parties Around, Like you have the UGCC, which I mentioned.
0: The one that he left.
1: The one that he left to mm-hmm. form his own party. So in 1966, he was overthrown in a coup d'etat when he was going to China for a summit. Mm-hmm. He was overthrown and the military took over. There were So military, they were hand over to, um, how do you call it, uh, democracy, there are elections. So it was a give and take thing. And um, the last one was in 1979, mm-hmm. when Flight Lieutenant Jerry Rollins, also staged a coup d'etat, took over power, and then ruled the country until 1992, when there was pressure from within, from external forces, you know, the, the, the Western world didn't accept military rule, with all the human rights violations, so there was so much pressure on him to hand over for democracy. Mm-hmm. And so in 1992, we ushered in the Fourth Republic.
0: okay
1: And then he contested in that election himself. And then he won mm. for the first term. In our constitution, you can go for two th- uh, terms. So he contested again in 1996. And then he won again. He was re elected. And then finally, his term was over. Mm-hmm. So he handed over power to the opposition party was an election between his party
0: mm-hmm.
1: which is the what we call the national democratic congress or the ndc okay and the npp the opposition the major opposition party as the new patriotic party okay so the new patriotic party also took over power from the ndc right okay mm-hmm. the national democratic congress now the new patriotic party was also in power for eight years okay and then the ndc came into power again okay, for so another switched,
0: eight years, so switched, roles. yes, yeah.
1: and until they also lost again to MPP again, wow. and now we still have MPP serving their second term of their office.
0: And would you say that today Ghanaians um, see the uh, the importance of voting, like like um, the the civic duty to vote? Do would you say the community, maybe here in Winneba, just more locally, do they take the, the do do they see it as a responsibility to have their voice heard?
1: Yes, you know, now we've also come to the age where we have many people being educated, Ghanaians, um, like the middle class,
0: mm-hmm.
1: knowing their civic rights, civic duties, and stuff. So we, we see it as um, an opportunity to vote. Gone where, a, a few years back, Ghanaians were voting on mediocrity, you know. We're voting because this party leader is from my ethnic group. Okay. And that is not from... Until now, we started voting on issues. Okay. So people are now voting based on issues. Right. Based on your manifesto. hmm So we see it as a civic duty, as a civic responsibility to vote. hmm And I wish you come and... Um, how do you call it? Observe an election day.
0: What's it like?
1: People queuing up as early... As 1 a.m., yeah. some people are protecting the ballot boxes. <laughs> people queue in from morning till night. Mm-hmm. After voting, they'll go back home and then come back in the evening after 6 to come and watch the counting to protect their vote that they cast. Right. So voting, people know how to vote and then how to protect the vote that they cast.
0: Okay, yes. I see. It's so it's, it's that very, important to, to is very, to very important here.
1: to individuals here. Yeah.
0: Honestly, we have an election in Canada right now. Okay. And I'm here, so I can't vote. Uh, um, so, I mean, I'm not doing my civic duty right now. Wow. Can't you vote online? I don't think I'm allowed to if I'm not in the country, but I don't know the details. So wow. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a way. Maybe there's a way. Oh, okay. So you were saying how um, the, the middle class um, sort of began to see... Uh, um, maybe get more knowledge and and recognize the the ability they have for change but obviously Ghana is made up of so many different groups of people Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us a little bit about a few ethnic groups that make us this make up this country Um, and maybe like maybe some defining features that distinguish them one from another okay
1: that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) all right so the major ethnic group that we have here is um, we have a lot of ethnic groups can mention more than 50 of them wow. but some of them are very very small and, and we don't count them but the major ones are the ones that we discussed earlier so you can mention the largest what is the Akan group right the Akan ethnic group they form about 47 percent of the entire population mm-hmm. of ghana and the Akan ethnic group is made up of the fantis the Epiapim tree and Asante tree. Right. So these three form the Akan ethnic group.
0: And within an ethnic group, there's one language spoken or multiple languages?
1: Multiple languages. Mm-hmm. For example, the Akan ethnic group, like I said, the Fanti speak Fanti. Okay. The Ashantis or the Asante, they speak Asante tree. Right. And we have the Equapim people and those in the Equiape mountain uh, Mostly in the Eastern region, they speak Equiapim P. Okay So there is similarity in these three languages, but there is a difference Even in a Fanti language, there is a difference We mm-hmm. have like the Gumwa people Okay They also speak Fanti, but in a different dialect, but it's also the same Fanti
0: Okay, and so, is it because the country is so large that there are so many ethnic groups?
1: Yes and also people migrated Mm. so as they migrate for example the guans which was an ethnic group okay they were the first settlers in in this on this land that we call ghana but they first settled in the north okay and some of them started moving in town okay now as they moved some of them intermarried some of them lived with other people and, the,
0: and when you say intermarried, you mean between ethnic groups? Between
1: ethnic groups. Mm-hmm. So s- some of the, the, the initial languages were corrupted. OK. OK. So then as they move, as they move, and it didn't take a year, it didn't take two years, it didn't take 10 years, sometimes a century. So as they move along, the language is gradually kind of adulterated. Sure, yes. sure yeah. And so it causes a change in the way it is spoken.
0: And in order to unite all of these ethnic groups, um, almost everyone in Ghana, would you say, speaks English or can communicate in English to each other if necessary?
1: I I believe now the largest population, and wherever you are, any part of Ghana that you travel to, you may get one person, at least someone, who will be able to communicate with you meaningfully. Right. Because we are talking about basic education in every little village that we have in Ghana, Mm -hmm. extending Trying to eliminate illiteracy, mm-hmm. so every place that you find yourself, but especially from the southern part of uh, Ghana, mm-hmm. I mean, from Western Region, Central Region, Eastern Volta Region, going where we had the first contact with the Europeans. That, where, that
0: includes where we, where we are now, Winneba, is the Central Region, It's the Central Region, the
1: central region.
0: Uh-huh.
1: one of the very first places which also saw European contact is very common to see everybody, almost every, everybody, the larger population speak meaningful English or communicate meaningfully with uh, anyone.
0: And um, in terms of communication, there are also um, a few different religious groups here which yeah. we can talk about. I'm curious if uh, what coexistence looks like in Ghana, so I know we have majority Christian yeah. uh, Christian religious people followed by Muslims mm-hmm. and then there's like traditional traditional religions religion. which are um, based in polytheism yeah okay so obviously those just those three examples have immense differences between them mm-hmm. um, well, do you find Ghana is separated by communities of religion or does everyone sort of live together? Can you paint that picture a little bit?
1: So, this always interests people. We are a very religious, tolerant country. We forgot to mention the Hindus, mm-hmm. the Buddhists, the Taoists, Jews, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We coexist. This is from the foundation that we were first all traditionalists. Our grandparents were born in the traditional religion. Right. And then, by contact to the European who introduced Christianity, we move from Christianity, uh, traditional religion to Christianity or to Islam. Okay. Okay. So we are from we are one people. We believe, and that has been the bond, that we are one one people, and we also believe that the traditionalists believe that he's serving the supreme Court.
0: Can you give us um, a bit more information on the traditional religion, like like yeah, like like the main beliefs? So there's. Okay one main god. Right. I know I think there's like a um, like a, a figure of in the sea and one in, in the earth, like a, I I'm not you you know more than All I
1: right. <laughs> okay. uh, if anyone tells you that the traditional the traditionalist or the one practicing traditional religion does not know God, it's a big lie. Okay. It's a very huge lie. For example, when they are pouring libation you know, their form of prayer is called libation, where they put, they use alcohol.
0: Right.
1: Or, in the, in the absence of alcohol, they can use water.
0: To give thanks.
1: To give thanks to the God. The first person they call on is God, the supreme being. For example, when my grandfather was alive, when he was praying, he would lift up the alcohol to the sky, mm. and then he would, the first thing he would call is What
0: is
1: that? means. He, the one that when you like when, when you put your trust in like he is the rock.
0: Okay. He'll not
1: let you down. Right. You see? Yeah. And Nyangupon is God. So He's the first one. We give you thanks. Mm. Before you mention Asasia, Asacea is the earth god.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. Now, when you go to the Volta region, they have the most beautiful names in Ghana.
0: Okay,
1: most of their names start with Mau, Mauto, Maunya, Nya, Mauga. Mau is God,
0: ma-u is God,
1: and they are from a traditional religion. Mm-hmm. But they believe that to pray to God, I should have something that connects to nature. Okay, so if I believe that this tree will help me connect to the Almighty God, then I will serve the Almighty God through, through this tree. tree. Mm-hmm. We believe that our ancestors are in communication, and they are closer to God, the traditionalist. So when they are praying, so to children, when go to Asasia, which is the earth god,
0: yeah.
1: they say Asasia, the earth god is a female, Yeah, yeah.
0: then
1: they come, ancestors, and they start mentioning, they say, my ancestor, my grandfather, come for. So my grandfather, we are telling you that we are praying through our ancestors, through the lesser God to God
0: mm-hmm.
1: that's what the traditional person believes
0: and does it work the other way like can your ancestors communicate through nature as well
1: yes so we have a way I have an uncle who died mysteriously okay so my mom who is a Christian <laughs> who also decided with other uncles to go and seek what's killed him so they went to a fetish priest okay. these fetish priests are those who got. they have like God's a lot of God, so there is consultation mm-hmm. okay, and so they went and they called the spirit of my uncle, according to my mom, they heard my uncle speaking directly, wow. even according to christian, the Bible Solomon went, went, went to do same mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you understand, yeah, so that is what the traditionalist believes he believes in sacrifice, Christians believe in sacrifice
0: and Ghanaian culture, or this traditional religion, uh, places a heavy emphasis on family, on ancestorship, on roots, things yes, like that. Yes,
1: yes. Let me, before, I, before we come to that, in every national gathering, when the Christian prays, the Muslim prays, the traditionalist prays. So this is how much we attach importance to this people. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You are
1: a Christian, you go to your home, during funerals, your uncle will do it the traditional way. Oh, that's how the bond is. They would like to pour libation when they are going to the morgue to bring the body. The ambulance, the uncle or the leader of the extended family, who sits in front of the ambulance to carry the body home, will be pouring libation. From the mortuary to get to the funeral ground.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's coexistence if I ever heard it. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> and we live together. Yeah. They are closer to us. Just behind this wall. they say traditional this there. Yeah. Just behind this wall. Yeah. So that's we we've coexisted together and we've had we've never had any serious religious conflicts like between christian tradition between occasionally as humans as people we have a few people but it's not something that has become a problem that the country as say have to sit down to think of mm-hmm. no
0: mm-hmm. it doesn't it fascinating doesn't, yeah. so i have many more questions but i'll end just with uh one or two more, okay. maybe I'll invite you again to sit with me <laughs> if, you'll, allow, if you'll, you'll make time for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, so with a population of over 31 million people in Ghana, mm. how would you describe Ghanaian people in a few words? What are some of their defining qualities as um, citizens of this country?
1: The first thing that always comes to mind is Ghanaians are very hospitable people. They are very hospitable. We are a warm, embracing people, and we are a very tolerant nation. Um, we believe in our culture, culture of respecting each other, be it a Ghanaian or a foreigner, whoever comes in, we welcome the person. That's the first thing that happens, that story comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I'm a Ghanaian myself. I traveled to the, north part, the northern part of Ghana, which is about a 16 hours drive from where wow. we are now. Or even
0: more. <laughs> it's huge. I
1: didn't know anyone from there. but the first day I got there, I had someone to give me a place to sleep. Wow. Give me water to bath. That is the test of how we are as a poor. And it's not because I'm black. It's not because uh, they see me as a Ghanaian. Mm-hmm.
0: If I went there,
1: they would treat you even more than they treated they treated me. Mm. People will carry your luggage, people will help you like find your way out of everything
0: mm-hmm. I've definitely noticed that just in the past few days being here um, walking on the street. people might look because I look a little bit different, mm-hmm. but as soon as I smile at them, it's yeah. like it's like uh, like I opened a door you know yes. with a key Yes. And uh, I've had amazing conversations with people here who I think have demonstrated that hospitality Mm -hmm. as well. So Obed we spoke about many things. We gave a lot of information. I'm still processing. So for our listeners, Mm -hmm. if there's one thing you want people to take away from this brief history lesson, uh, what, what would it be? (laughs)
1: That's a difficult one. It's a difficult (laughs) one. Yeah, we touched
0: on many, many topics.
1: Yes. um, So, the Ghana that we have now, um, we've gone through the process of going over whatever pain, whatever we went through in the times of the colonial times. Um, We have a very rich history. People have a very rich culture. I think it is this culture, it is this history, it is this natural world that attracted people in the 15th century to to visit here. Sure,
0: and up until today, that's why I'm here today. Yes. So
1: the message is simply all these things I'm saying, like you said, it's just a tip of the iceberg. To really have the history, to understand the history of the colonial thing that we talk about is to come to Ghana <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or to come to Africa but the invitation is to Ghana where it is peaceful you enjoy it you enjoy the history you enjoy the culture and that, that, simply that's what mm-hmm. I can say
0: well I wish thank I could you say more. thank you so <laughs> much Medda it was so nice speaking to you yes. and I'm sure I'll have a lot of follow-up questions from all the people listening. But for now, thank you for your time. And uh, thank you to all of you for listening. (laughs) All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
2: (laughs) You're listening to Touch and Go. My first day in Accra... I roamed the streets of a neighborhood just by the airport. It was early for me, probably around 9 in the morning, but it felt like the city's inhabitants had been up even before the sun. There were faint stirrings within the faded walls of homes lining the streets, mingling of people in small groups, and vendors selling things like cold water and biscuits, offering them to anyone who walked by. And there was music. This music wasn't coming from a radio, although since being here, I've realized that a radio seems to always be playing from somewhere. But these were the live voices of a man and woman joining in song. Curious, I let my ears lead the way and I approach. The music that's getting louder and louder. I find myself in front of a church. It's Sunday, of course. Tentatively, I enter the building. I have my temperature taken by a guard at the front who then ushers me in and seats me in the third pew from the front. My eardrums at this point are nearly bursting from the intensity of the music and the volume of the speakers. On stage, there's a woman in a colorful dress and a gaunt man in loose clothes swaying and singing prayers. There's an electricity in the room that sparks in each individual of this small congregation and its devoted worshipers. This is my country, this is my home. As I listened to these words, I found myself blinking away tears. Now I'm an emotional person, I mean I cried during Chicken Little, but still. Why did these prayers in a foreign land, prayers I don't sing myself, heard from people I will likely never see again, have such a deep impact on me? I was enraptured. Fast forward to this week, where I observed Yom Kippur, which is the Jewish Day of Atonement. On this day, typically at home, I'm with my family, we bring in the holy day with a meal altogether and abstain from eating for the next 25 hours. By not eating, by taking on this fast day, you're actually brought to a higher spiritual level, or so they say, (laughs) and you spend the day in synagogue with your family and friends, praying, asking for forgiveness, looking for a better future, and doing self-reflection to bring in a better year ahead. In reality, what it looks like is, I don't eat, I go to synagogue, I come home, I sleep, and I wait for it to be over, in all honesty. This year though, I find myself living in this communal house with 20 people of all different faiths and levels of observance under one roof. This is the first time I'm away from home for Yom Kippur. In preparation, I spent the day before drinking water. Uh, At home, I would definitely be adding eating a lot of food. Here, uh, a lot would be a dramatization. (laughs) But the 30 degree weather and 90% humidity certainly won't help with a fast day. That night. We bring in the hug together, the holiday, all dressed in white, and with three others observing this day, I sit outside joined by a symphony of buzzing mosquitoes supporting our timid singing of songs from lands far away from here. It was an exceptional moment. Every few minutes one of us would have to get up to activate the motion sensor so that the lights would turn on and we could actually read the prayer books that we had brought with us but within our little congregation of four there was that same electricity I felt a few days earlier at the church a same sense of something something buzzing between us We spent the next day in the shade, sharing one prayer book among the four of us, talking about things like sin and punishment, God and morality. Singing, dozing, reading, the clock ticks on. It was a beautiful way to spend a reflective day. And as we watched the sun descend behind the coconut trees, lining the fence of our temporary home, we ushered in... A new year, a blank slate, and an opportunity to welcome a better version of ourselves. And then we ate. In Ghana, the population here is mostly Christian. In fact, a common response to etesien, which is how are you, is neame adome, by God's grace, or thank God. Like I mentioned, it's customary to believe that on Yom Kippur, you enter the day on this higher spiritual level, that you're actually closer to God. Now, the more I say this out loud, the less certain I am of its truth, but there's certainly some kind of magic in the air that goes beyond the churches, the mosques, and the synagogues. What that is, we'll continue to discover together.